So church, why don't we welcome our online family who'll be watching us by video or podcast. It's great to have you with us. If you're ever in our area at any time, please come check us out. We'd love to meet your church. Can we put our hands together? Give it up for those that are joining us online. So, of course, Wednesday, I, I get a call from Pastor Adam, and he's like, Neil, I'm on a plane to India. You're in the pulpit on Sunday. I'm like, praise God. So, I, I don't know. I seem to have this theme that starts to, to go with me lately. I, I spoke a couple of weeks ago, and I, I talked about, you know, the greatest love story of all time. I was talking about the story of salvation, you know, Jesus and the gospel and all that. And the strange thing is I find myself in this place again today where I want to tell you another story. It's a story time with Pastor Neil this month or something, so I don't know. So the story I want to tell you this morning, I guess, is my story. My story of how God found me in the, in the mess that I was and somehow miraculously pulled me out of that place and, and set me on this journey of discovering who he is and discovering who I am. And, and, and like, while I say it's my story, the honest truth is it's actually his story. You know, I, I might be a character in it. You might hear me talk a lot about myself and my life, but the truth is he's the hero in the story. If it, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't even have a story. Yeah. And, and, and as I was thinking about it, as I was trying to sum it up, I, I, I felt it was kind of like this. It's a story where God continually calls us he continually draws us. He continually transforms us, even when we don't even know that He is. God's working at times that we don't even know that it is. And so I'm going to share my story. And I, I almost feel like it should have one of those warnings, you know, uh, beware, content could be offensive or something like, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, great, great. The guys are getting excited. Oh, this is going to be good. It's, it's not as bad as that, but it's, it's kind of like I'm, I was quite different to, to who you see today. So just remember, God's done a work. I'm not like what I was back then. God has, has changed me. James changed me. He has changed me. So I, um, I grew up in a place called Nappy Valley. It was called Nappy Valley because when you come over the hill into the valley, you would look and it would be white. It would be white everywhere. Not because it had been snowing, but because there were nappies hanging on the clothesline right throughout the valley. You see, it was a valley that was quite new. It was a new suburb. And there were hundreds, thousands of young parents that had come in and they were all living in this place. For those of you that are sort of young, you won't know what a nappy is. It's a square white thing that you washed, you bleached, you, you hang it out on the line. We didn't have disposables. We didn't throw that stuff away. I'm talking, we're, we're back in the 60s, you see, and um, we didn't have Netflix we didn't have PlayStation. We didn't have Xbox. We didn't have any of that. In fact, we did have TV. We did have TV. But you need, yes, you need to understand it didn't come in color. It was black and white. There was one channel, one channel only, and it ran for about six hours a day. And there was a good night Kiwi at the end. And you all, how many remember that? How, come on, you with me. You young people, you will be surprised at this. But we didn't have computers either. Our homes didn't have computers. In fact, I'll just tell you this. 
I'm telling you the truth now. The internet, that thing you live in, that thing your whole life swallowed up in, it didn't even exist back then. It did, and all the older people are like, yeah, it didn't even exist. Yeah, so I was the youngest in my family. I have an older brother and an older sister, and they're actually quite a bit older than what I am. There's a, there's a big age gap between my older brother and me. I'm, I'm the last one. And growing up, when, when my mum used to introduce the family and that, you know, people would come around, she'd introduce my brother and my sister. And when they used to introduce me, they used to say, oh, and this is Neil, he's our mistake. Now, yeah, come on, come on, I'm, I'm feeling it, I'm feeling it. Now, they, they didn't mean anything derogatory by that. They didn't mean anything. All she, all she meant was there's a big gap because I wasn't planned. You know, I was the surprise that came along later. See, I didn't realize it at the time, but what I learned years later was from them continually saying, oh, this is Neil, he's our mistake. I actually grabbed hold of that identity. As a young kid, I, I, I got this whole idea in my head that I'm a mistake that I actually don't even belong in this family, that my brother and sister were planned. They, they belonged in this family, but then I came along and I actually didn't fit. I didn't, didn't belong. I was a mistake. I was a reject. I wasn't good enough. My father, when I was growing up, I, you know, I used to, like all kids, you'd make projects and all that sort of thing. And my dad, every, every time I'd do something, all I wanted to hear was, that's great, son, well done. But I don't think I ever heard that. See, my dad, every time I would do stuff, he would, he would just point out what could be better. Oh, you could have done this a bit better. You could have done that a bit better. And so my whole life, I, I grew up believing I wasn't good enough. I didn't fit in. I was a mistake. I was a reject. I didn't even belong there. My whole worldview, everything people would talk to me about, I would filter through that worldview that I wasn't good enough, that I didn't belong. And so to compensate for that, little Neil had to, he had to prove himself. He, he had to be the best at everything because I was trying to justify that, no, 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 I, I belong. I, I fit. I, I'm okay. See, at about age 15, I left school. I, I went and did an apprenticeship. I was a pastry cook by trade. But in that industry, in that industry, you need to understand it's quite anti-social hours, so everybody hangs out together. And so it was a lifestyle of doing a lot of drugs, a lot of drinking, a lot of partying, and everything that goes along with that. And because I'm trying to fit in, because I'm trying to convince everybody that I'm good enough, I'm, I'm doing it 10 times harder than everybody else just to justify that I'm not a failure, that I'm not fill, you know, fitting in. And, and so that part of my life was a, was a nightmare. And I'm not going to go into all the details. You can imagine it was an absolute mess. Because I was trying to prove that, that, no, I am okay. I can fit in. I'm not, I'm not a failure. I'm not a mistake. At about the age of 22, I moved up to Levin. I got married and eventually had three kids. And, and life seemed to be going okay. I was drinking a little bit and nothing extreme. You know, I, I was getting into the parenting thing. You know, got to be responsible. You got kids and all that. And, and, and everything seemed to be going okay. But you see, that was all about to change. I was working for ACC in Levin at the time, and I'd been there for a number of years. And one particular day, 
was going into this big meeting. There's a big restructuring thing going on. And I, as I'm walking into this meeting to take my seat, I'm, I'm like halfway across the room. And, and I could feel my heart just boom, boom, boom. And it's like, it's in my ears. It's like boom, boom, boom. And I'm like, what's happening? And I, I'm starting, I'm like, man, am I having a heart attack? And I'm, I'm starting to break into this cold sweat. I'm like, Tanika's laughing at me. She's like, I'm breaking into this, this cold, cold as sweat. And then all of a sudden, I can't breathe. I'm like, like the whole room is, I'm like, <gasps> and I'm just, I'm freaking out. I'm like, I'm going to die. I honestly, I'm standing there freaking out. I'm thinking, I'm going to die here. And I, I run out of this room. I just, I, it was just something in me. It was like, get out. And I just run out of this room and I ended up and I went in the toilets and I'm just sitting in the toilets and I'm like, <gasps> I'm freaking out, man. I don't know what's going on. And sort of ACC, there's lots of nurses. Don't you love nurses? They come in, they want to help you and all that. And I'm just like, no, get out. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm not telling them what's going on. I'm just like, oh, look, I'm feeling really sick. I need to go home. So I, I rushed home and, and my role in ACC, I had a lot to do with a lot of surgeons and doctors and psychiatrists and all that. And so I rang up one of the psychiatrists that I knew. And I got on the phone and I'm like, oh, this has just happened to me. You know, I've got to come and see you. I've got to, I don't know what's going on. I'm freaking out. And he's like, oh, look, Neil, I'm working up in Wanganui. Oh, I don't care. I'm getting in the car. I'm coming. And so I drive all the way up to Wanganui and like all good doctors, you know, I sit down and so he starts asking me about my life and my childhood and all that. He says to me, he says, Neil, he says, when you're, when you're walking along in the street, you know, you're just out in public and all that, do you think people are looking at you, that, that people are judging you, that people are watching you? I'm like, yeah, 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 all the time. He says, what about when you're in a supermarket and you know, maybe you're waiting in the queue to, to get your groceries and all that? I, he says, what's that like for you? I'm like, mate, that freaks me out. You know, I'm worried. I've got the wrong groceries. I'm worried something's going to go wrong. So what about if you're at a money machine? You know, like just, just every day you're at a money machine, you're just going to get some money out of the machine. I was like, he's like, what, what, is, it, what is it like for you when you're standing in the queue and, and trying to get money out? I'm like, mate, I won't do that. I was, he's like, why not? I said, because like, I freak out, man. I'm like, I'm scared I'm going to get the wrong pin. I'm scared my cards are going to be around. I said, I won't use them. I'll, I'll go at night. And so he says to me, he says, Neil, you're, you're suffering from a condition called social phobia. You, you have a fear of people. You have a fear of being out in public. He says, that's not normal. I'm like, what? I'm like, I've lived for 30 years like this. See, social phobia is 24-7. It's nonstop. You know, be scared of spiders. It's only when spiders are around. But when you have social phobia, you, you, everywhere you go, people are watching. People are judging you. And it stems from this fear that I don't fit in, that I'm a mistake. And you see, so your whole life, you're under pressure because if you get something wrong, it's confirming in your mind that you are that mistake. You are that failure. So your whole life, you're living under this pressure. It's eternal torment. You can't get away from it 24-7. Even your family, you think they're judging you. They think they're criticizing you. And this was my world. And I thought it was normal. I thought it was normal. But, of course, he says, we've got some medication for that. I'm like, thank you. Give me the drugs. And so I start taking this medication. Everybody say, but God. But God. See, I didn't know God at that stage. 
But God knew me and God was at work. And what I realize now, but I didn't know then, was the reason that all that was coming to the surface was because God wanted to bring it out of my life. He wanted me to face it and he wanted to walk with me through it. You see, so often God's bringing stuff up in our life and we're just pushing it aside because we don't want to deal with it. But at exactly the right time, God wants you to deal with it. I didn't know that at the time. Of course, Neil knew better. The doctor gave him the drugs and all that. And what Neil discovered, of course, was anxiety and drinking. Well, that's a, that's a match. Because, you see, when you start drinking, it alleviates the anxiety symptoms. So for Pastor Neil, working at ACC, what would happen is I'd be at work in the morning. I'd know I'd have a, like a stressful uh, meeting after lunch. So, of course, the logical thing for me to do was, well, I'll just go to the pub at lunchtime. I'll have a couple of drinks just to, just to calm my nerves, just to get through the afternoon. See, that's fine when your meetings are in the afternoon, but what do you do when your meetings are first thing in the morning and it's a real stressful meeting? Well, you start drinking in the morning. And so my life began to evolve this way where I was using alcohol to deal with this anxiety and this fear that I was feeling 24-7. See, I would drink in the morning, I'd drink in the afternoon, I'd drink in, in, in afternoon tea time, I'd drink on the way home from work, I'd drink at night. I was diagnosed as alcohol dependent. I, I was an alcoholic. I could not function. I could not get through my day without a drink. It was the only way that I could survive. I was an I was an alcoholic. The thing with that stuff is it's amazing how you are drawn to people. You see, all of a sudden, I'm a huge drinker. I'm drinking all the time. But I realized I'm not the only one. See, I, I found other people who were big drinkers. And when you hang around with them, some of them drink a little bit more than you. So all of a sudden, it's all okay. You just, oh, well, I'm not as bad as him. See, I had lots of people telling me in my life, Neil, you've got a drinking problem. You've seen, and I'd be like, no, 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 I haven't got a drinking problem. These guys are way worse than me. You see, and I began to hang out with that world, with those people. I began to hang out with guys who were big drinkers, guys who had been divorced, guys that were now single, doing all the party scene, had all the boys' toys. I, I began to hang out with them because they were big drinkers, and I didn't feel out of place being a big drinker with them. The problem with that, of course, is I started living that lifestyle. I ended up having an affair. I ended up getting divorced. I lost my house. My kids didn't want anything to do with me. Dad, what have you done? The stupidity of it all was, I thought it was awesome. I, I, I was in this place where I was single, I was free, I had disposable income, I could drink all I wanted, I could do what I wanted with who I wanted. I thought it was awesome. It was around that time that I met Miriam, my wife. And I want to tell you, our relationship wasn't like our relationship now. It was volatile, we had arguments, we had police called to the house. It was a mess. This is your pastor. <laughs> This is your pastor. Everybody say, but God. But God wasn't prepared to leave me there. God had a plan for my life. God had a purpose for my life. God loved me so much that he wasn't going to leave Neil in that place. I'm sitting in the pub one night. 
the Live-In Club. Some of you know it. I loved that place because everybody knew my name. Everybody knew me there. It felt, I, I felt accepted, and, and so I, I just wanted to live there. Because my whole life, I thought I'm a failure, I'm a mistake, I don't belong, and I'd found this place. For me, it was, it was home. You know, I was chaotic, but not in my mind. I loved it. But God had a different plan. I'm sitting in there one night with my drink, a couple of drinks, and, as, and there's a band coming in. There's a new band playing that night. I hadn't heard them before. And, and as they come in, there was a young woman that came in with them. And for some reason, I don't know why, she just really caught my eye. And, and so afterwards, I, I bought her a drink and I started chatting to her. And she actually became a really good friend. But see, the thing is, when we started talking, she starts talking about this God. She knows this God. As she turns out, her dad is a new life pastor in Shannon. Isn't God incredible? And so I start talking with her. I start meeting with her, and, and she's telling me all about this God. And I'm like, I don't want anything to do with your God. You know, it's a load of rubbish, and I'm drinking. Like, she'd be around talking to me about God, and I'm just, I'm just getting drunk, you know? And, and so, but the thing was, it had sown a seed. Wow. It had sown a seed. I didn't know it, but it had sown a seed in there. Yeah. What if? What if she's right? What if there's a God? I threw this party one night, had this huge party, had everybody around. You know, you can imagine. It was full on. Everybody was left early hours of the morning. It must have been something like eight because I was feeling really sick. And, and, and so there's no other way to put it than this. So it's two o'clock in the morning. Your pastor, Pastor Neil, he has his head down the toilet, been violently ill. God moves in mysterious ways, people. I'm down there, I am throwing up, I am sick, I think I'm going to die. And a voice speaks to me. It says, Neil, keep doing this and you'll kill yourself. I'm like, what the? There's no one in my house. My house is empty. Audible voice. Neil, keep doing this, you'll kill yourself. I get my phone out. I'm ringing this woman that I've been talking to. I'm ringing her. It's early hours in the morning. Silly woman. She answered. And I'm like, I'm like, you've got to pray for me. I, I think you go and talk to me. You've got to pray for me. And she's just like, yeah, yeah, I will. Click. <laughs> See, like, <laughs> Three days later, I find myself in my lounge room on my knees, crying out to this God I don't necessarily believe in. I'm like, God, I don't know if you're real or you're not, but God, you need to help me. My life's a mess. Please come and help me. Well, the room, it, it began to glow. There was like a glow in the room. I could like hear like, like a choir starting. No, nah, no, nah, none of that happened. I'm just joking. I'm just joking with you. I, you, were, you were so ready for that. I couldn't believe it. No, so seriously. So seriously, I'm crying out to this God. I'm like, God. And nothing, mate. Nothing. I'm like, I'm pouring my heart out. And he's silent. Nothing. I'm thinking, two days ago, my head's down the toilet and you're talking to me. And now, nothing. He, didn't, he didn't, didn't say a thing. I mean, I'd like to say 
at that point that my life got better, that God began to intervene. But the truth is it got worse. It actually just continued to spiral downhill. I began to lose things. You know, God was just stripping everything away from me. Within a short space of time, I found myself alone, living in Wellington in a little bedsit place, drinking, drinking. But you see, that seed had been sown. What if, you know, this God's real? And I found Shine TV. I found a Christian TV station. And so on one hand, I'm sitting there drinking, <laughs> drinking away. And on the other hand, I'm sitting there, I'm watching T.D. Jakes, Joyce Meyer, Benny Hill. I got this stuff feeding here, and I got this stuff feeding here. And honestly, I kid you not, I, I felt like I was in a war zone. I, I felt like there was a battle going on. There was good on this side and evil on this side. I was such a mess that I managed to hold down my job. But every lunchtime, I would be going to AA meetings because I knew if I didn't get to a meeting, I'd be in the pub, I'd be drinking, and I'd be back where, where I was. And so there was this huge battle going on. And I, may, I tell you, I was suicidal. I, I was a mess, an absolute mess. And I got to the point one day where I was like, God, I'm done. I'm, I'm out of here. I just can't do this. Everybody say, but God. But God wasn't prepared to leave me there. No, he had a plan. He had a purpose. I didn't know it. I really didn't even know him, but he knew me. I'm driving along in my car to work one day. God decides he wants to come to work. I didn't pull over. I didn't open the door. I didn't let him in. I wasn't praying. I was just driving along. And the presence of God began to just fill my car like I'd never experienced in my life. I'm sitting there, I'm driving along. Mate, I'm in my happy place. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Mate, I've done drugs, I've done all sorts of things, but I tell you what, nothing artificial will compare to the presence and the power of God. And I'm driving along in the car. I thought, man, I must look like a real idiot. You know, this is the social phobia kicking in again. You know, I must feel like people are looking at me. You know, and I'm, because I'm driving, I've got this big grin on my face, like, and I'm thinking, there's no one in the car. Well, God is, but they can't see him. I couldn't see him either. But So I'm just, I'm driving along. And then all of a sudden, move to Paraparam. I'm thinking, yeah, I didn't say that. He said that, just in case you missed that. He says, move to Paraparam. And I'm thinking, why would I want to go to Paraparam? I don't know anyone in Paraparam. Why on earth do I want to go to Paraparam? I, I don't know a soul there. And to cut a long story short, I did everything I could not to go. And he did everything he could to make me go. Marim and I, we ended up moving to the Kapiti Coast. We ended up with an awesome beachfront apartment from a Christian couple. God just worked through everything. Walked in here one day, checking out churches. It was probably one of the first times I'd come to church. And I walked in those doors and I'm like, man, this just feels like home. This just feels like home. I'd stopped drinking by that time. I'd had numerous encounters with God. There's times he's just turned up and rocked my world. And so I'd tasted and seen that it was good. God had encountered my life. And so what happened was he got a hold of me. I'd experienced him and, and now, mate, I was, I was changed. Now I was hungry. 
I was like, man, who is this God? I need to know this God. So I started chasing him. I, I remember one night, you know, because I, I was frustrated now. You know, I'd tasted some stuff and I'm like, man, there's more to God than I know. And I'm, I'm after it. I'm, if you've got a plan for me, God, I'm chasing it. I'm going for it. And so I'm up on this hill one night. And I was up at the back of Tanika. Tanika, awesome place. Recommend it. Anyway, so I'm up on this hill and I'm crying out to God because I'm frustrated. I've had enough with God now. You see, I'm telling him, come on, God. So I'm like, God, come on. I'm over this. You need to step it up, God. Come on, step it up. I'm up for it. Come on, step it up. I'm sick of you. You need to, I'm, I'm, honestly, I'm telling you, this is how I talk to God. Don't know how you talk, but this is how I talk. He knows everything in my heart anyway. So I'm like, you better step it up. Da, da, da. Can I just say, just, just now, just as an underwriter, do not ever, ever pray that prayer unless you want God to literally turn your life upside down. Okay? I'm just warning you now. You have been warned. But if you do want Him to turn it upside down, by all means, pray it. So the Sunday after, I walk into the church I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just a Joe Bloggs in the church. I've only been here a few times. I, I, I come into the church. I sit down the back. Now, what I am about to tell you, I didn't know this for years. So Adam didn't tell me this until some years later. So remember, I've prayed, God, you need to step it up. Unbeknownst to me, I'm standing down the back. Pastor Adam is standing here worshiping. In the middle of worship, God says to Pastor Adam, Turn around, the guy you see down the back of the church, make him your service producer. Adam turns around, and I'm standing down the back. I had no idea any of this was going on. This is just normal day stuff unfolds from here, but God was in the midst of it. See, there's ordinary stuff that just happens in your life that you don't even know God's got his hand in it, but he has. So Adam meets me after the service. He's like, oh, Neil, we're looking for a service producer. Would you, would you be our service producer? I'm like, mate, I don't even know what a service producer is. <laughs> I don't even know what a service producer does. But hey, I'll give it a go. I'll give it a go. I didn't know it was God. I wasn't waiting for some big call from God. I'm just, I'm just walking out wherever God's trying to take me. And that was... A radical shift in my life. That unlocked everything from that point on. God spoke to me. says, give up your career. Go to Bible college. I went to Bible college. I ended up serving as an intern in the church for a year. Eventually came on staff. Radically shifted my life. You know, this drunk in a bed sit, not knowing what he's doing. But God had a plan for his life, maybe the worship team can come. See, for the most part, I've learned. <laughs> I've learned when God starts raising things in your life, when he starts putting fingers on things in your life, it's time to surrender those things to God. It's not always easy, you know. Often we just, we don't want to deal with it. We just want to push it aside. And, and I did that for years. You know, I, I think back if I'd surrendered to God the first time he brought it up, my life might have been very different. But see, he never gives up. He continually calls. He continually draws. He's continually at work in our life. As I say, on the most part, I get it right. At times, I don't. 
At times, my, 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 my social phobia kicks back in. You know, the enemy tries to raise it up and, and give me another, another dose. A couple of years ago when Pastor Sam was working here, Pastor Adam had this great idea. He's like, we're going we're gonna to put together a preaching team. We're going to put together a preaching team. We're all going to preach Pastor Sam, Pastor Neil, Pastor Adam. Sam's like, yeah, awesome, awesome. I'm saying, yeah, okay, Adam. Well, I go home. Because, mate, I am preaching. Because that's my worst nightmare. It's bad enough walking around in public to stand in front of all you people. For me, with social phobia, that's my worst nightmare. And so I go home. So I tell God, God, I don't know what you think you're doing, but it ain't happening. It ain't happening. I don't care what you do, but I am not preaching. There is no way I am going to preach. Silence, nothing. Don't give me the silent treatment. God, I'm serious. You need to listen to me. I am serious, God. I'm not doing it. I'll leave the church. Honestly, that, that's, honestly, that's where I was at. I'll leave the church. Yeah, right. He says nothing. Dead silent. I'm like, right at that moment, a memory flashed back. From years ago, I'd never, ever given it a thought from when it happened. See, my daughter, Abigail, when she was born, she was born premature. She, it was a mess. Her, her mum hemorrhaged. We were rushed to hospital. We arrive in A&E, and, and they do all the tests and put monitors on and all that. And they're like, this baby's in, in distress. We need to get this baby out. We need to take you right now. You need to go into the theater. You need to have emergency cesarean, all the rest of it. And I don't know how in the world this happened, but I got in there. I was in that operating room as they're doing this mass C-section. My wife's out cold. And I'm standing in that operating room. And this doctor reaches down and, and, and pulls out this little baby. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Thank you. See, I'd seen the movies. I'd seen the pictures. It's meant to be all pink and nice. And it's, you know, meh, like that. Well, you know, not, not like a sheep, like a, like a baby. <laughs> And they pull this little girl, Abby, out. And she's great. She's blue. They rush, rush her away. They're doing stuff, all this. And it's chaos in there. In the midst of it, with all the noise and everything that's going on, I'm thinking something's not right. There's no crying. I'm like, man, if she's not crying, she's not breathing. At that point, somebody grabbed me. They took me out. They took me down in this room. They said, oh, Mr. St. George, you need, to, you need to fill these forms in. Your daughter's in you know, serious trouble. We need to do a bland, blood transfusion. She might need an operation. I'm, I'm like far out. I'm just signing everything. I don't know how long it was until eventually they were, they were done, but they took me into this room, and, and here's little Abby. She's, she's in this incubator thing, and she's got drips and pipes and hoses this I mean the drips is flipping big as her arm you know and I'm just looking at it I put my put my hand in there I never forget this it's this little tiny hands wrapped around my little finger and of course I'm thinking you know at that point I'm I'm, I'm, I'm like God why are you bringing this memory up why why are you flashing this back to me what's this got to do with anything and at that point it was crystal clear See, as I stood in that room that day, 
I remember. I said, God, please don't let her die. I didn't even know. I said, God, please don't let her die. I promise. I'll do anything you ever ask of me. <laughs> See, how do you say no to that God? How do you say no to the God that loves you so much that He won't let fear, He won't let anxiety hold you back from what He has for your life? See, it's the same God that loves you and He won't let you stay where you are because he's got a plan, he's got a purpose. He doesn't want you to live in that place that you're living. He's wanting to call you. He's wanting to draw you closer. Maybe we can bow our heads just for a moment. See, I believe as I've been talking here this morning, you know, there's people here that you haven't given your hearts to Jesus and I'll do that in a minute. But for now, I wanna talk to you those of you that you have given your heart to Jesus, you do know God as your Lord and your Savior. As I've been speaking here this morning, you, God's been talking to you. There's, there's areas in your life that He doesn't want you staying in that place. There are things going on that you've, you've pushed to one side and you, and you haven't dealt with, and God's wanting you to deal with that. There are people in this room, you know, you're like me. You, you, you know, I, I don't fit. I, 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 I'm not good enough. See, God doesn't want you to leave like that. God doesn't want you to leave without encountering Him, without allowing Him to come into your life and begin to deal with those things, begin to set you free. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and He'll draw near to you. In a moment, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna ask people to put up their hand. Those of you that God's speaking to you this morning, this, this message has spoken to you. And by raising your hand, all you're simply doing is you're acknowledging to God, God, I've heard you. I, I, I surrender this area of my life, whatever it is, whatever God's speaking to you about, because I know He's faithful. And see, I don't want you leaving here in that same place that you walked in. And I know if you would acknowledge Him this morning and just ask Him to come into that area, He will. I don't know how He'll fix it. I don't know what He'll do, but I know He'll set you free from that. So just with every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want you to raise your hand right now. You know God's speaking to you in that area of your life. Thank you. Just nice and high. There's things going on in your life. God's calling you. He, he doesn't want you to stay where you're at. And you're simply just acknowledging, God, I hear you. Thank you. Just a minute, Lona. Anybody else? Just pop your hands up. His hands going up all over the show. This is your opportunity. Don't let, just acknowledge God and allow Him to come in and begin to work in that area. Thank you. Just pop all, those, pop all those hands down. I just want to pray for them. So Father, I pray for every single person that raised their hand in this place, God. Father, I thank you that you're faithful. God, that you're so good. That no matter where we are, God, you're calling us and you're drawing us. And so I ask Holy Spirit right now, meet every single person in that place in need. God, for those that need to just know your love, God, love them. For those that just need to know a touch from you, Father God, I pray by your Spirit, touch people this morning. Work in those areas. Set people free. Draw them into all that you have for them. For other people here today, you don't know God as your Lord and your Savior. Like, like me on my, on my lounge room floor, Lord, come into my life. God, come into my life. 
So you don't need to know everything about him. You just need to know he exists, even though I didn't even really know that. But today you can get right with him. It's, it's simply, I'm gonna ask you to do the same thing, just to lift your hand in a moment. And then we're gonna pray a prayer together, asking God to come into our lives so that, that he would begin to change us from the inside out. So for those of you here today, you know you need to get right with God. I just want you to lift your hands nice and high right now, just so I can see them nice and high. You know, thank you for that hand down the back. Thank you. You know you need to get right with God. Thank you. I see that hand down there too. It's the start of a new life, start of a new journey. Just a moment longer. Anybody else? Thank you, Lord. Just pop your hand up. I'm last minute. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. All right, what I want to do is we're going to pray together. And you, simply by saying this prayer for the first time, is you're asking God to come into your life. You're giving Him rule and reign and authority to, to bring you into everything that He has. So let's pray this together. Heavenly Father, thank You that You see me. Thank You that You know me. Thank You that You have a plan for me. Thank You that you have a purpose for my life. Today, I turn to you. I ask you, come into my life, God. Change me. Set me free. Help me to turn from everything I know to be wrong. Today, I give my life to you. Amen. Amen.